0: Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is Mash Matters. Gentlemen, Chef Paul Conway, fresh from Café Pierre, New York.
1: Oh. Oh. I'm glad you like it. Boy, it's fun to cook again. Oh, this food is miraculous. What are you doing tossing grenades instead of salad? I told the personnel people I was a cook and they make me a rifleman. See,
0: you should've lied. I'm a plumber. Look where they put me. And so far, it's worked fine. Hardly any of his patients ever spring a leak.
1: And I do my best, honest. But I am such a rotten soldier. Whenever I'm carrying my rifle, the guys will never get near me.
0: But put a spatula in his hand, he's Tuscanini.
1: Yeah, I'm comfortable in the kitchen.
0: Might say he's at home on the range.
2: That is a clip from the season eight episode, Too Many Cooks. And today on MASH Matters, we do have too many cooks because we will have two cooks on this episode. Not only will we have Private Igor, Jeff Maxwell, but also Private Conway, Ed Begley Jr. Uh, That
0: is too many cooks. I think we should (laughs) cut it down to one cook, frankly. Uh, and you know who I think should be the cook, don't
2: you? You know, you two can battle this out in some kind of cage match, creamed weenies at dawn. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. Well, I think um,
0: he was a good cook. I was a bad cook. <laughs> that's true. So I think the bad cook wins because that's more apropos of the army. That's true. When that's true. The don't have a good cook in them. They have to have a bad cook. So
2: thank you, ladies and gentlemen don't get excited. It's going to be okay. It is going to be fine. We had the great talk with uh, Ed Begley Jr. talking about his career and his uh, activism and also his stint on MASH. And he was only on the one episode, but his character was the main uh, plot line of that particular episode. So it was a real thrill to talk to him because, Jeff, I've been a fan of this guy for as long as I can remember. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. Me too. I mean, all these movies and the television shows he's done, been working for a long time, doing really good stuff. The movies, the favorite movies that I, uh, you know, that I have, he was in it was all the the uh, improv movies with like A Mighty Wind and Best in Show yes. and things. Yes. Oh the Christopher Guest movies. Yes. Christopher Guest movies. On the floor. Love them. Put me on the floor. Yeah. And he he uh he reveals a little bit about some of that stuff uh,
2: in our interview. I think he
0: does. This is, yeah, he's yeah. really cool.
2: From an early age I watched uh, Saint Elsewhere on NBC and oh, he yeah. was, you know, one of the main characters on that series. And he talks about that. But yeah, if you go to his IMDb page, I'm going to warn you, your hand will probably start cramping <laughs> as you scroll through his page because it just Keeps going and going and going. He has done so much. Not only are the shows where he is, uh, you know, a a featured player, but also these guest appearances on so many shows where he'll do one episode, two episodes, three episodes. And uh, most recently, you see him in a recurring role on uh, Young Sheldon. Yeah, it was just a real treat to talk with somebody that I've admired for a long, long time.
0: Me too. And and not only show business, but you know, he puts his money where his mouth is in terms of quote activism. And this is active. in in the best way of of trying to preserve our our country <laughs> and our 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 uh, our electricity and our whatever we're trying in to preserve the, the environment. It, yeah, <laughs> in the, I'm sorry. Yes, the environment. Good word. Uh, he was, you know, he he started, you know, cooking out in the back with, you know, putting tin foil and reflecting it off the sun or whatever, and the sun off the tinfoil and cooking stuff like that. But that was a long time ago. But he started doing that with his own home and you know riding bikes back and forth to places mm-hmm. and doing things. Like like that that really you know he as i said he put his money where his mouth or his mouth where his money or one of those things he put them all there
2: his mouth and his money are in the same place let's just say yeah, that both places
0: yes and <laughs> it's kind of confusing to his agent actually but it doesn't matter <laughs> But he is, he really walks the walk. You know, he really does. Uh, That's very respectful. So a lot of people say, oh yeah, I do this, I do that, but don't really do it. He does. And he's passionate about it and serious about it. I have a lot of respect for him. So
2: there's good things about Zoom and there's not so good things about Zoom the audio at times is a little glitchy because, well, Zoom. I think the pandemic has all taught us that Zoom is great when uh, it works and when the internet's not cooperating, sometimes it's not. So there might be a few places that he might drop out here and there. But what was cool about being on Zoom is you get to see him. Not only was I here sitting on the computer talking and seeing Ed Begley Jr., over his shoulder was his dad's Oscar. Did you notice that? <laughs> yeah. His dad, yeah, you know, won an Oscar. Yeah. Ed Begley. Senior And uh, I don't think I've ever seen somebody just having a nice conversation when they have an Oscar sitting over their shoulder. That, that was a little yeah. uh, little surreal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And his father was such a great actor, too. My gosh. Oh, my
2: I mean, goodness. Yes. If you have not seen 12 <laughs> Angry Men with, Boy, with Ed Begley Sr. Oh, go
0: watch mm, it. Watch oh. it two or three times. You'll, uh, oh. you'll, you'll see more stuff. On the third time, you'll still see stuff that you didn't see in the first two times. Yes. Now, you said you were sitting on your computer. Was that a painful experience or was that (laughs) – what happened to the –
2: is it working still? I mean – Well, without further ado, let's check in with our friend, Ed Begley Jr. Well,
0: Ed, you know, we bumped into each other at that autograph show in Burbank. Right. And uh, I ran over to you and said, come on, be on the podcast. you got to be on the podcast. Instead of saying, get away from me, you said, okay, (laughs) which uh, very appreciated.
1: Happy to do it. I love my one brief episode on Nash. I was a big fan from the beginning of the show. And there are other connections between me and Larry Gelbard and Gene Reynolds and Alan and Mike and the whole gang. So yeah. it was a joy to do that. In 1979, I did my one episode.
0: Indeed. Yeah. The uh, title of which was, Ryan, what was the title? Too Many
1: Cooks. Too Many Cooks,
0: Too many cooks. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I have to pick a little bone with you, you know, there you were dressed like private Igor Straminsky dressed in 90 percent of his appearances. (laughs) You know, I know show business is a dog eat dog world, but come on.
1: Sorry. (laughs) Okay. those wardrobe people are out of control on that show.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've done so many wonderful television shows and movies um including it was Saint elsewhere your kind of first uh big uh kind of deal
1: that was my big break i'd been an actor at that point 15 years in 1982 yeah when i auditioned for the part it was a regular a series regular his name was dr peter white an actor i'd never heard of Terrence knox got the part i did not they threw me a bone and gave me a very small part called Ehrlich, <laughs> it just had a, two lines in the pilot i think but then that somehow got their attention not somehow, I know how, Bill Daniels, you know, Bill Daniels is of a certain height and so am I, very different heights. It's Mutt and Jeff. And so he started berating me in one of the scenes they had written. I don't know if they really had written it knowing, oh, that's really tall and he's shorter and it'll be funny. and It'll be intimidating. And it was all that and more. So they enjoyed writing for those characters. Mm. They certainly enjoyed writing for Bill Daniels long before they ever started shooting, you know, they, <laughs> like me, worship Bill Daniels, a wonderful actor. I got that regular part as a result of dear Bill Daniels, really, and his uh, willingness to work with this tall, blonde geek. <laughs> What's interesting, though, I'll tell you an interesting thing. The part that I wanted, Dr. Peter White, played by Terrence Knox, wonderful guy, I loved him, he was a very good actor, too. That part in season two, I believe, of St. Elsewhere, maybe season three at the furthest, but I think season two gets shot by Ellen Bree. He turned out to be the Saint Legious rapist. Oh. And she shoots him first in the chest and then a bit lower than that. <laughs> oh. Maybe the other way around. Oh. Yeah. Ooh, shoots man. first down, you know, in the erogenous zone. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Bad yeah. zone to be in, really. And then he uh, gets shot in the chest and he's gone. That was the part I wanted. And I didn't get that. As always, what I wanted was nowhere near as good as what I've gotten in this lifetime.
2: Wow. Well, that that show too was kind of. Uh, I mean, you talk about some of the actors that were on that show between uh, Bill Daniels and and uh, Norman Lloyd and uh,
1: Ed Flanders, Ed
2: Flanders, who had a Mash connection. He was also he had a guest appearance
1: on Mash as well. Denzel Washington had yes. done, and
0: a guy named G W Bailey.
1: Wonderful G W Bailey, wonderful actor. Yeah, David Morris, a terrific actor. Christina Pickles. yes. Bonnie Bartlett, Jennifer Savage, Ellen Bree, yeah. Cynthia Sykes, wonderful, all of them. Yes. Barbara Winnery, what a joy to work with that kind of talent.
0: It's too bad for your first big break. You couldn't have gotten onto something a little bit more interesting.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, too bad. (laughs) When you're in a show like that, I'm going to make a statement, but I think it's true. I haven't seen it otherwise. You're guaranteed work the rest of your life. Now, it may not be starring in movies or TV shows. It could be dinner theater, but you're guaranteed acting work for the rest of your life. If you're on a Hill Street Blues or St. Elsewhere or some show like that that runs six years or more as St. Elsewhere did, ran full six, you know, you're always going to work. It would be, in my good fortune, continuing to work doing guest star stuff and a few starring roles in films and television. So I'm very, very lucky. And it's all as a result of Bruce Paltrow liking my character that was a nothing character and turning it into something. Bruce Paltrow did that for me.
0: Wow. Wow. Very cool. You know, I, I noticed in reading some of the material about you that uh, I didn't know this, but you were a, 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 were a comedy team with Michael Richards. Is that right?
1: We went to college together at L.A. Valley College in the San Fernando Valley. And uh, he was very funny. Everybody at Valley College was doing Michael Richards impressions, trying to emulate <laughs> he many characters. He had a lot of characters and alter egos back then. Somehow, one night, he was doing improv and being funny in front of everybody, and he somehow included me in it, right? jumped in. I don't remember what happened, and it clicked, and so we went up going on stage at the Troubadour with no preparation, ah. but we went up there, and we did very well at the Troubadour. It was 1969, and uh, we thought we had invented m- improv. We didn't know Viola Spolick about it, and people yeah, <laughs> Second City, and yeah. the committee, and yeah. elsewhere, and... You know, all the Compass players, they were all doing it for years. And so uh, we, we did it for a while. Michael wound up getting drafted. He went in the Army, so I tried it on my own. And then he, of course, came back and eventually uh, started up again on his own himself. And boy, did he do good. He got a big manager within a few months, coming back to L.A. eventually in 1979, I think it was. Got a starring role in a series with Larry David called fridays you know the la version of saturday night live but it was on friday live instead of saturday and he was very funny on that and i guess larry david remembered him a few years later in a little show called seinfeld yeah you know the rest
2: well uh speaking of other larrys you said that you had connections with larry galbart uh, and gene reynolds Uh, can you expand a little bit on that and tell us a little bit about your background with those guys
1: MASH was a success. It was in its second or third year, I think second year. So they decided to do kind of a, not so much a spinoff, because it was years before MASH. It was called Rollout, and it was about the Red Ball Express that was an African-American military unit in World War II that did mostly trucking, getting different truckloads of people and parts and medicine to different parts of the war in Europe. So I played a lieutenant, kind of clueless, young person uh, who somehow makes the grade of lieutenant. Hey, kid, what are you going to get your parents for Christmas? Oh, I guess I'll just send them each a nice letter. Each of them? Oh, yeah, yeah. Just from a broken home. I've never been too fond of Christmas, sir. Why not? I was always in military school, and each year my parents would fight over who was going to get me for the holidays. Somehow I'd wind up alone riding on a train at Christmas. To this day, I still cry when I see a conductor. And it was very funny. It was Val Vasolio. Oh, God, who always in that? Billy Hicks was in it. Who's the star? Mm. I'll think of his name in a second. He was very funny. Garrett Morse was in it, too, for a few episodes. There's a, a comic who was a star, but I can't think of his name, but I will wait. But it was great fun. And Larry Gilbart. Wrote the episodes with a writing team. You know, they had a writing staff, as they always do. But the great Larry Gilbart wrote A Funny Thing Happened the Way to the Forum, the book for that, and many other wonderful things. He, he was and writer on the show, and Gene Reynolds was very involved. So I did 13 episodes of that. And then sadly, that was the end of it. Didn't get picked up after that.
2: Was that uh, Stu Gilliam? Yeah. Stu Gilliam is exactly yeah. right. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's yeah, yeah. something I've known yeah. my whole life. The name's Stu Gillard, not my whole, but from 1972 on, somehow at age 73, I couldn't remember a name.
0: <laughs> and your name again, I'm sorry. Just, I know. Uh, I'm awesome.
1: Jeff. Jeff Ryan is my name. So
0: oh, nice meeting you, Mr. You Ryan. You can
1: call me Ryan Jeff.
0: Uh, yeah. You know, you, uh, I have to admit here now, Ryan and I are are great proponents of improvisation and that kind of world. A million years ago, when I asked Alan Alda, gee, Alan, do you have a really good acting teacher you could recommend? And just so I can get better and better and better. And he said, I have only one, the oldest bowl, but she's in New York. So go and see if you can get her. She ended up coming out here two weeks later and started her work out here. Great. And I ran (laughs) there. And spent a couple of years with her. And then I, lo- I just, it changed my life. It really did. Yeah. I loved it. I just, you know, it just fell into my head. and said, Okay, that's what you do.
1: It's really the best way to train because we have this notion as comic actors. Oh, I got to think of some jokes and I'll try to work those into the improv and all of that. What's really interesting, writers can write their jokes and we can occasionally insert a joke of the fifth. But the character is the key to being deep and committed to the. Is what really is compelling in improv and Viola knew that well from the earliest days and taught it very well. And that's why people like Michael Richards and Richard Pryor and Lily Tomlin and Jonathan Winters are so great and so successful because they would immerse themselves deep into the character. They weren't just comedians doing one-liners. Richard Pryor would become Mudbone. Lily Tomlin would become the little girl on the big chair, the telephone operator—you know, mm-hmm. There's the different characters. Jonathan Winters would be Elwood P. Suggins or Marty Fricker, <laughs> yeah. and they'd really commit to it. They would, as good actors, become the characters, and that's what's key. And that's what one of the many fine things that Viola Spolin talked in her, about in her many books. What
0: What is your process when you go into a part? What What happens? Can you Can you talk to that, or
1: I read it just to get start to get the rhythm of it. Then I read it again, then I read it again. I keep When I'm ready for it, I start to run it with my wife or daughter, a friend perhaps, and get the rhythm of it that way. But then I try to find what is the, the pain that this character is trying to overcome. And I don't mean it doesn't have to be physical pain. What is the discomfort? What is the emotional pain? The challenge, the angst? Because there was a wonderful acting teacher named Roy London, and he taught in L.A., A while he passed away, but one day I was studying with him, working on a a scene for a show I was shooting. He said, You know, when I think the most interesting thing to watch, Ed, I said, What's that, Roy? He said, To see how a character deals with pain, comedy, drama, it's kind of universal. How a character deals with pain is what's the most interesting thing to watch. And Jeff, I listened to him, I nodded my head, I thought. What a load of crap. How could this guy, I wrote this guy a check. You want, uh, oh, I'm in pain. Oh, look at me. It's Dr. Garcia Lorca's blooding and I'm in pain. And look at me, terrible. That's what yeah, okay. a bunch of baloney. I didn't know he was an idiot. I'm studying with an idiot. And I finished up and I started to drive home and I stopped at the light and I realized that wasn't what he had said at all. He said how a character deals with pain. That's a very different thing. Mm-hmm. How you try to keep the pot You know, the lid on the pot from boiling over and how a character does that. Yeah. You know, with Meryl Streep and Sophie's Choice and you see what's wrong with this woman. What happened or something terrible happened to this girl, this woman in the past and she's trying to keep the lid on. And then you see the choice she had to make, what the Nazis did to her and the choice that she had to make and what that is. And that's very compelling. Comedy is the same thing. Laurel and Hardy are carrying a piano down a flight of stairs, and they fall carrying a piano. Mm-hmm. And the pieces of the piano fall on them as they fall forth faster than the pieces coming down. Could you imagine what that would be? It's pain. It's terrible. And we're there. We're laughing uncontrollably.
2: Yeah. Come
1: in right. to hide his friend Oliver Norville Hardy. Stan Laurel puts a bucket on his head because he's stuck with his head through this hole in the floor. He puts a bucket <laughs> on it, and Ben Turpin comes in looking for those two guys. Who didn't do whatever they're supposed to do. And he's so mad that he can't find all of a Norville Hardy. He kicks something. What does he kick? The, the bucket is yeah. on his head. Imagine having your head through a hole. You were stuck in a, a hole in the floor and there's a bucket. A guy kicked it would you you'd kill a person, you break yeah. your neck. But yeah. we're laughing because it's so it's not real. It's it's funny and, and that's the thing. And I realized that was a very good way to guide myself. What is the pain? Pain could be conflict. It could be impatience. It could be just a little stone in your shoe, a little burr under the saddle, a small thing or a very big thing like Sophie's Choice. Mm -hmm. That's what I've looked for every scene since. You know, what is the pain? How does my character deal with pain? And finding that, then you can really make something interesting.
0: Very interesting because I, uh, to that point, you know, I'm a huge Christopher Guest fan and yes. have been for a long time. And one of the when you were in uh, Best of Show, yes, and you're the, you're the, uh, the manager, and um, you know the brilliant Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara oh, are wow. coming, right. and their credit card is bad. Is that mm. that was the joke, wasn't? It? The credit yeah. card is bad. Correct. Yeah, you're not going to give them a room. But you found them a janitor janitor's. Uh, yeah, it's like a board.
1: supply closet. I find a place in there for them. It's <laughs> real near the kitchen and clean up the stakes. <laughs> and there's a band here that were roasting a goat and couldn't get the smell of cumin out of the <laughs> yeah. grapes. I don't know if I can tell this. Well, I, I won't mention names, but we had uh, a rock group come through here and we saw them coming. So we put down the rubber sheets in the beds, but apparently they weren't aware that there was a toilet in the room. So we had a lot of cleaning to do uh, after they checked out and. Uh, you know roasting a goat in the room I, I i still to this day don't understand getting the smell of you know, cumin and uh, charcoal out of the drapes was a, a chore unto itself so that was a big deal we get an imprint in the credit card for a lot of money now and we we learned from that one i was trying to do a little spinal tap callback yes. is what i was trying yes. to do with that <laughs> but
0: but i watched you so carefully because your eyes. You you really felt for them. I felt one hundred percent. Yeah, you really wanted to help them, but your you know the structure of your job couldn't necessarily do it the way they wanted to do it. So you found a way to do it, but you were so sincere.
1: Well, that's what I thought was the key to the scene when I read the treatment. All the treatment says that Eugene and Chris wrote. They wrote a twenty five page treatment. That whole scene is based upon this sentence: Jerry and Cookie Fleck tried to check into the hotel. The credit card doesn't work. Uh, Period. End of sentence. That's it. That's all. Wow. So from there, you go. And first of all, I thought, I'm just going to stay here. Now, my job is to be Easter Island or the statue of Lincoln and just to listen to whatever the hell Eugene Levy and Catherine Herr are. two people I worship <laughs> yeah. in SCTV yeah. and across <laughs> the desk room. My only job is to say nothing or to grow well, up. That's all I got to do
2: yeah. and to not <laughs> yeah. break
1: out laughing. That's yep. my only job, to be a Marine and take take it and just stand there. <laughs> uh-huh. I did that successfully somehow. You did. And we yeah. went into the closet, and I did a little more. And uh, Chris was nice enough to let me do all the crazy stuff we did in the closet and what happened. And he's brilliant at directing for so many reasons. He always says, okay, that thing you started with it was first, make that third. Put that in the middle, the thing near the end, move that to first position and start there. And then and you realize, oh my God, it's like 100% better hmm. the way he's moved these pieces around. Wow. He's, he's just hysterically funny.
0: So is all of that stuff, uh, at 90% of it, ad, uh, you know, yes. improvised? Or is there a, there is no
1: script? No, all that stuff that Fred Willard did to Jim Piddick in Best in Show. Poor Jim Piddick is sitting there. And the look on Jim's face is every bit as good as all the incredibly insane yes. things that Fred Willard is saying to him. Because yes. I literally thought, this is how good Jim Piddick is. We all know, I hope we we should know, how great Fred Willard, the great Fred Willard was and is. He's yes. brilliant. But Jim Piddick sits there, and is the same as me trying to do in the uh, Destin Show Behind the Desk. And he's just trying to, what are these people talking about? What am I, you know, just to... Not crack up and not react badly. Right. And he does that. He was so good. I thought Jim Piddick was a real announcer from like the dog shows. I thought yes, I did. How brilliant too. is Chris Guest. He got a real guy to be opposite Fred Willard, crazy out of his mind, Fred Willard with And you have the dog smoking a pipe, has a little suit on and all that. <laughs> He's doing all this insane yeah. stuff he's saying. And great. Jim's going, what have I gotten myself into here? Yeah. I thought he was a real guy. That's how oh, good yeah. he is.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Ed, let's talk about your guest appearance on MASH. Too Many Cooks, season eight, uh, the first episode of the season. One appearance, but it's still, it's your character left a mark on MASH fans. So what do you remember about that?
1: Well, as I said earlier with you, I was a big fan of the show. But the way I heard about the job was like no other job offer I'd ever gotten before. It was a very unusual circumstance. I had gone fishing with my young children said, let's go fishing. There's a place up where the fishing is great. It's called Wellesley Lake and we'll go up there. So I went up there and I, you fly to Whitehorse, then you take a seaplane and you land at this lake and you go fishing and the fishing's. Incredible, like nothing you've ever done. So I'm doing that. And there's no way to reach it. There's no phones there. There's no cell phones. 1979, no cell phones. There's nothing. So at some point, there is a radio for emergencies if somebody's injured. And they said, Ed, you've got to go back to 948. The time was called in Yukon Territory, 948, because that was a mileage marker on the Alcan Highway. Hmm. Didn't even have a name, this town. Wow. It was like a trading post kind of a store. They didn't have a phone there. There's no landlines there. Again, no cell phones, 1979, no landline phone. They had a radio phone to somewhere, to Whitehorse, I guess, where then there was a person with a phone. So this is, a, Ed, you've got to get to the thing. And I thought, God, are my kids sick? My wife, what have you? I get there. Hi, this is Eric, Eric Class for Ed Begley over. It's my agent. <laughs> Ed, you have an offer to do a match. When does it work? Three days from now, over. How much is it paid? You know, back and forth like that. And so then we, I said yes to everything. It's MASH. I would have done it for I would have paid them to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the story gets even more interesting. Now I get to be in this show, MASH. Well, almost not because the guy wasn't playing and going, but this my phone call drew him into town. He went, I'm going to pick up another boat. We need another aluminum <laughs> to bring it back to the camp at Wellesley Lake. Fine. He knows what he's doing. What he didn't think of is when trying to take off that boat was in such a position, it took on a tremendous up, like the scoop that it was as we traveled to take off wow. all the water that it could, you could imagine. And now the plane is a lot heavier because <laughs> there's a full size aluminum boat with water in it. And we literally top of the trees with the bun, with the boat, the pontoon as he was pulling back and pulling back in this oh my gosh i thought i was going to do a mash i'm not going to do that show or any show anymore i'm dead i can see the trees were coming and he somehow and you can't pull back too far you'll stall st- you know enough about flying you guys do i'm sure yeah you pull back oh god i gotta get it past the trees now you're no longer aerodynamic you're what's called a feathered brick yeah and the plane just falls in the sky yeah. You can go 75 miles an hour, but at 72, the plane just oh, drops because it's yeah. flying. But so we somehow we clipped. I went, oh, that's not good. <laughs> but we didn't damage anything. We made it back. So that was, wow. From that point forward, everything was easy. I learned my lines and I went in. So I'm on the set with ala you know, with Mike Farrell and Jamie Farr. I just loved all those guys. Yeah. I loved it. Loretta Swit, everybody. Uh, you know, I just enjoyed every minute of it. But there was another challenge before me. This was before I'd had that class with Roy London and realized that you need to show how a character deals with pain. I hadn't learned that yet. I'd long ago started to work on a show called Room 2. got comfortable around the camera. I felt at ease. I was relaxed in front of the camera by like 1970 or so. Having been an actress in 67 took me three years to really get relaxed. So now, you still had a 1979, a person that's relaxed in front of the camera, you know, snore job. Yeah. Who wants to see somebody relaxed? I want to see something interesting. What usually is interesting is how a character deals with pain. Yeah. And many other ways of different acting teachers. And I hadn't learned that yet. Hmm. So they wanted to reshoot my close-up in the scene, and I could tell right away why they wanted to do it. They didn't like what I'd done. When I saw it. They ran the the clip for me. I didn't like it either. It was just kind of relaxed, but there was nothing going on. There wasn't enough zip, enough life. I didn't have it. Unfortunately, the fear that that put me in, I realized for Mash, if I didn't do it better, was perfect. I suddenly had all this adrenaline. have me. my heart was pounding. I yeah, you know, was in a certain amount of pain because sure. And so they went, that's that's fine. They reshot in that way, and uh, they kept it in the show, and I didn't get fired. Wow. But I learned a valuable lesson on that, yeah. They liked me. They were sweet people. Sure. But they were going to have to let me go, because it, it just wasn't interesting. I did that for years, worked in shows, and occasionally a director could pull something out of me. But in the original film we shot, he couldn't, like a dentist trying to pull teeth, he couldn't pull a performance out of me. But terrifying conditions when I realized I'm going to get fired.
0: Oh my God, must have been devastating. Hey, we're going to, you have to reshoot your scene. Yeah. That's a scary thing for an actor to hear. Scary. My
1: God. But again, it's not like, what bad guy? How could they do that? I was wonderful. Yeah. I wasn't wonderful at all. They <laughs> yeah. ran the little clip for me. They had it. <laughs> and this one today, like you'd run a little video thing, do the playback. They didn't have playback then. Shot with a camera, and then you know, they looked at the dailies from the day before. They went, "Uh Oh, what are we going to do with that? Begley is you know, Conway, Private Conway. We got to talk to him, let's see if he can do it. And they ran the little clip on like a Moviola or something, yeah, you know, one of those film editing things with a picture on one side and the mag stripe sound on the other. Granted for me, and I looked and went, "Oh, they're not being mean. This is sucks. This is terrible." <laughs> and it was the beginning of me getting better. Was that day on mass? Wow,
0: my goodness! And Charlie Dubin was a director who was a pussycat sweetie pie. Charles
1: Dubin was—I couldn't think of his name. He directed me in another thing too. I did another show. It was Rollout. Charles Dubin directed an episode of that, I believe. And Charles Dubin was directing this one. And he came in to my dressing room first to talk to me. He gave me another shot at it to shoot the scene again. May not have been great, but it was good enough. And I finished up the episode, but they're going to have to let me go. Wow. And I didn't blame them one iota. My goodness.
0: That's a very interesting story. That's that's amazing. Yeah. It was inevitable, General. Shea Klinger moves uptown. What? We're a package, sir. Where he goes, I go. Right, buddy? Partners to the end.
1: Sir, I'm very grateful, but with all due respect, I'd like to go back and cook for my old unit up on the line.
0: I never met this man before in my life. Private, you'd rather cook your buddies in combat than for me.
1: Yes, I would, sir. Yeah, well, I guess that's the least he can do after
0: running over them, bumping into
1: them, and falling on top of them. Usually at the same time. Yeah, well, that's why I'd like to make it up to the old unit, sir. How about it, bud? You always said the boys on the line deserve the best. Yes, I did, didn't I? Okay, Conway, I admire your loyalty. You can go back to your old unit.
0: But just one question, do you deliver? Listen, we could talk about show business all day long, but I know there's something else very near and dear to your heart. Uh, And as I was looking at some of the research about you also, uh, interesting, uh, many years ago, you were on the environmental protection, agency committee is that what that was did i read that correctly
1: i was on a few different uh i was the environmental affairs committee for the city of los angeles environmental affairs commission and i was that for a while and i've worked with a lot of different groups on the board of many things but uh yeah years ago i started using vinegar and water to clean up you know like instead of harsh glass cleaner with ammonia I started using baking soda instead of Comet or other harsh cleansers. But I thought there must be a better way to make real cleaner, the ones that like Windex or Formula 409 that cleans that good but isn't toxic. And finally, I found it. So now I have a lot of non-toxic products and they work very well.
0: Now, do we get a case of them? Just, uh, just, uh, just asking. I just we're said, we're
1: definitely we'll sending you samples. I'm okay. going to make sure Anthony sends you some stuff. Pal. No question. Thank you for, for reminding me.
0: I know Ryan was hoping for a case. I would back off. I don't need a case, but he wanted a case. We'll
1: send him a case of Don Perignon. We just want to make sure he's on our side. There you go. Oh, hey, hold everything. Hold, hold everything. Thank you.
2: And you can buy these uh,
1: products where? Amazon, it's very easy to get it or anywhere. Just go Begley Cleaning and it'll come right up. Begley Cleaning Products at Begley.com. Any of that will lead to it, but just go to any search engine, go Begley Cleaning Products and it'll pop up. Ours are very good. They clean very, very well. And I also want to give a shout out to my competitors. You know, there's other cleaning, form, you know, uh, what do you call it? Seventh Generation, Ecos. These other companies make green products too buy some green products. It doesn't have to be ours. I hope it is ours because I think ours clean better than anybody's. But just give them a try and uh, you're going to have less toxic stuff in your house because people understandably are out there and I'm there with them protesting a hazardous waste site. The worst hazardous waste site is not near their home. It's in their home under their sink. We buy it. We let it into our home. We purchase it. It's called cleaning products. And they really could easily be qualified as hazardous waste. So you don't want your kids crawling on the floor, putting their hands on the mouth as kids do, your pets crawling on the floor and putting their paws in their mouth and cleaning themselves without toxic stuff. Very bad for them. It's bad for adults. It's bad for everybody. Get a non-toxic cleaning product. Try one of them. I think the Begley ones are the best, but give it a shot and see if it works for you.
0: I'm in. How, how did you... How did you move in that direction? What you're a young guy and you're trying to be an actor or comedian. And all of a sudden you have a, this passion for the environment. And wh- what happened there? When did that happen? It was
1: 1970. It was the first Earth Day. I said, you know, this is great getting together here, celebrating Earth Day one day out of 365. But what about the other 364 days in a year? What do we get? What's the long term plan? And so they said, we're going to clean up there and clean up the water. And I knew it because I lived in L.A., You. Your lungs hurt, you know, 200 days a year. Your lungs were killing you. And I knew the water was polluted from the Santa Monica Bay pollution, Santa Barbara oil spill in 1969, from the Cuyahoga River near Cleveland catching fire in 1969. I thought that was a bad sign, rivers catching fire. (laughs) And so I I got involved in 1970 with the first birthday, and I've been involved ever since.
2: Well, thank you for all you do. Thank you for your time today. What is next for you? you? You're always working. You've been most recently, I think, seen in Young Sheldon, and then you just wrapped uh, Better Call Saul.
1: Better Call Saul is done. Had a great time on that wonderful, wonderful show. Mm-hmm. I love Young Sheldon as well. It's a great show to work on in every way. Very successful show for good reason. It's very funny and has a lot of heart. Really a fine show. I did a movie with uh, Christian Bale and Margot Robbie and Bob De Niro and. Chris Rock and John David Washington. And that's called Amsterdam. Wow! And that uh been working like crazy. I just moved with Barbara Hirsch up in Portland a couple of weeks ago. So nice. my biggest problem is scheduling, which is a good plan.
2: Well, we appreciate you carving a few minutes out of your uh, crazy schedule to spend with us today and talk about your experience with the show called MASH.
1: Thanks so much, Ryan.
0: And quite frankly, uh, I I am not uh, unhappy that you didn't have a bad time during that MASH production Otherwise, I may not have remained as Private Igor. So thank you.
1: (laughs) Thank you, buddy. (laughs) Great to see you again, Jeff. Keep up the great everything.
0: Very nice to see you. Absolutely. So much for being here. We
1: really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Ryan.
2: I only regret that we did not get his recipe for Spam Parmesan, which was featured in the episode Too Many Cooks. Maybe next time. Maybe when we have him back, we'll do a video cooking show with
0: him. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think that's a good idea at all. (laughs) Yeah, save the environment, but stay (laughs) out of the kitchen, all right?
2: All right, before we sign off, we want to say thank you to a few folks who helped support us on Patreon, including, and this is really what I'm about to say, Jeff, Private Cake Mastermind. (laughs) Okay,
0: go ahead, do the salute.
2: No, that's one of our VIPs. Oh Private Cake Mastermind. <laughs> All right. I, I read him as I see
0: him. All right, okay. I'm gonna read him as I see him too. Private Karen Stevenson. Corporal Vincent Puccia. Corporal Melissa Pepin. Captain Robert Leave.
2: Captain Eric Engler. Captain Brandon Weatherford. Major Tim Miles. And Major Paul Lawrence. Thank you for supporting the show. You make these episodes possible. And you too can sign up and become a VIP. Mashmatters.com slash support and unlock some cool little perks. And we hope to do some more cool things in 2023 with our uh, Patreon of VIP. So get on board right now. Mashmatters.com slash support. Well, another episode in the books, Jeff. Another one down and 643 more to go.
0: Yes, indeed, <laughs> oh. ladies and gentlemen. Woo. I need to carb up. Yeah, carb up. <laughs> oh. Oh, carb up. Yeah, I'm pouring myself right. a martini and some carbs, and we're going to go to work.
2: That would be a carbatini, wouldn't it? Carb-tini, yes, I a like it. carb-tini, yes. Mash Matters carb I think we're onto something here. I like it. All right, until next time, here's looking up your old address.